Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Madi Wiz-Betts. Today, we're going to be talking about Alexa Grasso versus Vivian Araujo, UFC Vegas 62, because it's going down next Saturday, live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two of the top strawweights, actually flyweights. we got a former strawweight in Alexa Grasso taking on a former bantamweight in Vivian Araujo. They're meeting at flyweight. They're two of the top contenders. And this should be another exciting matchup. Man, I was talking about it last week. A lot of people were complaining about Zhao Nan versus Dern being a main event. I wasn't one of those people. I told you all that was going to be a good fight. And I'm telling you all right now that this is going to be a good fight as well. The kind of main events you should cry about are the Holly Holm main events. This is not one of them. This will be a good fight. Uh, Wiz Betts, how's it going, man? Hey, thanks for having me. So far, so good. Uh, really excited to be on first time and hopefully for many more. Absolutely. So listen, this main event between Alexa Grasso and Viviana Araujo. So Alexa Grasso, she's 14 and three representing Mexico, taking on Viviana Araujo, who's 11 and three representing Brazil. And currently they got it. Alexa Grasso minus 190. The comeback on Viviana Araujo is plus 160. So I like this fight a lot. And Alexa Grasso, when she first came into the UFC, she had a ton of hype. A lot of people expected big things from her. And she kind of under-delivered at the beginning. But I feel like now she's finally putting it together. I mean, we always knew about the fast hands, the punches and bunches. She's got that Mexican spirit. But there were certain things, you know, for example, she could kind of be out physical in there, you know, and she and I, st I still think she can be. And I think that if Vivi has a path, that is the path to, you know, be, you know, kind of kind of brute her a little bit in there. The thing is, man, you can't sleep on the ground game of Alexa Grasso. Like, I know that she's known for those hands, but in recent fights, you saw that armbar attempt against Carla Esparza. You saw that armbar attempt against Macy Barber. You saw that first round submission against Joanne Wood. I feel like she's rounding out her game. I feel like she's falling in love with her jujitsu, hence her being a purple belt now, and she's rounding out all areas. And with Vivi, I've always been a fan of hers. I mean, you remember her debut when she went out there, landed a vicious one-punch knockout, which you don't often see in the women's divisions. She's got nice footwork. She's very physical, like I already mentioned. She can take people down, and she's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So this should be quite the intriguing main event here, man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the way I see things going, I, I expect Viviani Arujo to probably win round one here with that cage pressure, with the, the wrestling and takedown attempts. Uh, she might even win round two as well. Um, the, my issue with Araujo here is that she she's shown in the past that she tends to gas out um, and Grasso just continues to pick up pace. Uh, Grasso's gas tank is pretty good for, for the division and her striking pace is going to be a little bit too much in those later rounds for Araujo if she does gas out. I know in her last fight, the gas tank did hold up, but um, I do see Grasso picking up the striking uh, just putting on a pace towards the end of that second round, uh, going into the later rounds, uh, and taking over the fight from there. Yeah, I think it really comes down to where this fight takes place. I think at, in space, you have to favor Alexa Grasso. Much faster hands, much cleaner. And it's not a foregone conclusion that Vivi is going to win this on the mat because I definitely think that Alexa is no slouch there either. I just think it's more so... For Vivi to win this fight, she has to neutralize Alexa Grasso. And you did bring up a good point that this is one of those fights you got to take round by round. And we got to take into consideration that there's five rounds to work here. So kind of like the Dern and Zhao Nan fight, 
every single round counted so goddamn much on those scorecards. Like, like there were some rounds that went to Jean-Anne, some rounds that went to Dern. Were the Dern rounds 10-8? Were they not? You know, a bunch of stuff to, to ponder, but every single round counts for a lot in this specific fight. And you look at Vivi's last fight against um, Andrea Lee. So it was mostly dominant, but there were some things like early in the early going, she actually got dropped. And it's not necessarily that I'm questioning her chin. It's just more so that with her approach, kind of being a bit of a brute, kind of being a bit of a juggernaut, those fast hands of Alexa Grasso, those sharp counters will be there. So on the outside, if I have a Vivi ticket, that's where I'm going to be kind of concerned. But Vivi gets this against the fence. That's where I think she can do her work. That's where I think she can kill minutes off the clock, land those knees to the thigh. And if she can mix in a takedown or two, I'm not necessarily sitting here saying that she's going to pass guard. I'm not saying that she's going to come out here and submit Alexa Grasso. But what I am saying is that her best path to victory is to get that top control, you know, ride out a couple minutes, let the judges favor that over what happens on the feet. It's just on the feet, how far away is Alexa going to pull? That's kind of how far is she going to pull away? That That's kind of what I'm, you know, having an issue deciphering here, like in terms of is there value at minus 190? So I actually am leaning Alexa Grasso for a pick. But when I saw the plus 170 on Vivi, I was like, man, should, should I just throw a unit on there and and see? Because I definitely think she can win rounds in this fight. And I think there's a path there. It's just I need specific things to happen in order for her to execute that. Like, if she's standing and banging with Alexa Grasso, I'm going to be really pissed off. Whereas if she's neutralizing her against the fence, she's mixing in those takedowns, riding out some top control, that's where I think, you know, she might be live at plus 170. It's just, can I trust her to do that? And you take it a step further, Alexa Grasso has gotten a lot better defensively, and she's gotten better at getting back up to her feet too, Wiz. Yeah, 100%. And uh, touching on a point that you mentioned earlier, uh, Alexa Grasso's grappling has been pretty impressive over the past couple of fights um i don't think she's going to be a slouch on the floor i think she might be able to reverse Arujo as she does leave herself exposed uh in some of the positions she puts herself in uh on the money line side uh, it's so tough because on one side i feel like it's lined somewhat correctly with grasso having that that such a huge advantage on the feet and you know she can hold her own on the mat uh, but do I want to take the dog shot on Araujo, who tends to guess out in some of her fights, uh, but also has that strong wrestling and brute advantage just of going forward and pressuring? Uh, I really like fighters that do pressure and that do have that advantage, but paired with the gas tank. So for me, it's a stay away. Uh, I predict Grasso via unanimous decision, but anything can happen, man. And to your credit with, you know, that pace of Vivi kind of slowing down in the later rounds, I, you know, I, I don't think that she's not out here running her miles. I definitely think she's in shape. It's just she fights at a high pace and just naturally that's going to slow you down. So had this been a three round fight, then I probably would have already taken the plus 170. Five rounds makes it a little different. But, you know, to make a little devil's advocate here. You know, in that third round against Macy Barber, Alexa slowed down as well. And it wasn't even about necessarily Alexa gassing or anything like that. It was more so like Macy was down too, and she kind of had to say fuck it. And you saw her just putting her head down and slugging some big bombs and kind of not even the, the takedown technique wasn't even that great. It was just more so 
she just went for it. She just kind of brooded it a little bit. And that's kind of what Vivi needs to do here. It's just that winning one round is not enough. You need to win at least three rounds to cash this ticket. And and we're when we talk like this, we're assuming that there's not a finish along the way, right? We're just playing it in terms of let's say it goes the five round distance, which most fights in this weight class tend to do. So that's that's what makes it interesting here. Um, so do I think Vivianne can win three rounds or not? Possibly depending on her strategy and if she's able to implement the exact things that need to happen her that need to happen here to neutralize Alexa Grasso. So that's what makes it tough. Um, I lean uh, Alexa though, but I'm not going to play her money line. If I'm going to play anything, it will be a one unit shot on Vivi in hopes that you know we can get three rounds with top control or pin her up against the fence, but not one of my more convicted plays on this card. And I, I mean, it's not a play. I haven't bet anything, but I do have three bets that we're going to talk about here on the upcoming card on the upcoming fights. Any, uh, thing else you have to say about this one? Um, no, not at all. It's, it's a very tough matchup because there's a lot that can happen in the fight that can change the outcome. And, uh, I'm feeling the same way. I won't have any bets on, on this fight. All right. Well, co-main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division, we got Jonathan Martinez. He's 16 and four, welcoming the legend Cub Swanson, who's 28 and 12 to the Bantamweight division. Kind of interesting. Currently, they got a Jonathan Martinez minus 180. The comeback on Cub Swanson is plus 155. I like this fight a lot for a variety of reasons, and there's lots of talking points. I think that at featherweight, I might actually be all over Cub Swanson at these odds. And I'm not even sitting here saying that he's not going to win at Bantamweight. It's just historically speaking, when you got kind of a bit of an aging fighter, you know, he's I think he turns 39 in November, drop in a weight class, especially I, I, I didn't think that those cuts to 45 were necessarily easy for Cub either. So now it's a Bantamweight. But I did kind of say uh, similar things about the great Jose Aldo, and then he looked amazing at Bantamweight. Uh, so but they're two completely different fighters. But just saying. I've been wrong about certain guys dropping in the past, but I am kind of questioning it. Like this guy was talking about retirement a few years ago. Now he's dropping to Bantamweight. It's a completely different speed with the 135ers, but how they match up stylistically, I think each guy is strong where the other guy is weak. I expect this to be a stand-up fight and Jonathan Martinez, kind of the long rangy guy with the nice kicks to the body, the front kicks. And I've always kind of criticized his boxing a little bit, even though it has gotten better. I, I got to give him credit. It's gotten a lot better, but uh, but I still think that that's a weakness compared to his kicks, compared to that beautiful step-through knee, that check knee that he's caught a lot of people inside the UFC's octagon with. And then with Cub Swanson, we, we know he's always had those fast, explosive hands in the featherweight division. Now I want to see how they translate at Bantamweight. Jonathan Martinez, he's been caught in a lot of fights, man. I mean, that debut against Sukumtuk got dropped twice. The knockout loss to Davey. And then also, most recently, to Alejandro Perez got dropped in that fight as well. So his chin has been uh, checked before. And Cub Swanson can uh, check chins as well. It's just, how do you expect the legend to look uh, at Bantamweight, uh, you know, this far down in his career? Yeah, that's an interesting aspect because for for me, when I'm handicapping fights and I see an aging fighter moving down a division, it's an, (laughs) I hate saying it, but it's an automatic fade. Because moving down to a division that late in your career is just so much more tough to adapt to because they're usually not going to be able to keep up with the speed. And I'm not saying Cub Swanson can't do that because uh, he has some fast hands himself. But against someone like Jonathan Martinez, it's going to be a little bit tough because uh, Jonathan has historically thrown more volume than than Cub Swanson. Uh, 
Swanson, I know he's coming off of a KO victory of Darren Elkins. Uh, could be motivated to, to try and make a run at this division. I don't think he's going to have the same result with the KO here. Uh, Martinez has some defensive liabilities on the feet, uh, but I do like his head movement and overall distance management when it comes to the striking. He just tends to, when he's throwing that lead kick, he kind of leaves his head hanging there, which is where he usually gets clipped. And I, I was on him in the Alejandro Perez fight, and I was scared in that first round, and he got dropped. <laughs> he got saved by the bell. I'll just say how it is. And to, to me, if Cub wants to win uh, win this fight, he has to make it a war. Uh, he, his volume won't be enough to, to match pace with Jonathan Martinez. He's going to have to pressure him constantly throughout the fight and just make it an absolute dogfight, uh, just enough to keep up with him. And uh, power aspect, we're not going to be able to tell who has the, the, the power advantage here just because it's going to be Cub's first fight at bantamweight. If it was at featherweight, it would be a different story. Uh, prediction is Martinez unanimous decision here. Uh, I just think he can outpoint him. It's going to be a three round kickboxing match. I don't think any of the guys are going to try and bring it to the mat at all, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I'm just curious to see how Jonathan reacts to some of these shots. I mean, like we talked about how, okay, well, Cub is dropping the Bantamweight and at that age, historically speaking, it's a red flag, but I kind of view Jonathan Martinez as a guy who he's going to end his career at featherweight. I think that some of these cuts for him have been tough to Bantamweight. And like you've seen with his chin getting touched multiple times, you know, he's been dropped, what, four times in his Bantamweight run. Like, is that because he's chinny or is that because these weight cuts, you know, doesn't have enough water in his brain to take these shots? I'm curious because one thing we know about Cub Swanson is the man can crack. And I'm curious to see how Jonathan Martinez responds to these shots. And on the flip side of things, Cub Swanson has had multiple broken jaws. One of those step-through knees that Jonathan Martinez lands, one of those head kicks, that might break that jaw again. And when you're kind of at the tail end of your career, that's where you're more willing to, you know, you eat that knee and maybe we just call it a night. You know, maybe we just let him land a couple ground and pound shots, let the ref intervene, live to fight another day. So. I think if it's a gritty kind of who wants it more kind of fight, I think Jonathan Martinez wins that. But I can't discount the the KO threat from Cub here. Like I said, Martinez has been dropped four times. Cub has knocked out an infinite amount of people throughout his career. I mean, dating back to the WEC days, man. So, I mean, he's knocked out the current UFC lightweight champion, uh, Charles Dubronx Oliveira, with one punch. I know you remember that. Yep. So, and it was a delayed reaction shot too. And the power still carries over. Now you mentioned the Elkins fight, which I'm glad you did because on the positive side of things, it's like, well, Cub still at this age, still carries that power, still has that speed. Um, you know, they say power is the last thing to go, but on the flip side, Elkins is way slower than a guy like Jonathan Martinez is, you know, also towards the latter part of his career, whereas Jonathan Martinez, you could make the argument, is just getting started. I mean, the kid was born in 1994. You could say that he's just getting his feet wet inside the octagon. You know, his last fight, I think he asked for Frankie Edgar. I feel like that's the, the, the stage he's at now. He's asking for legends. He's, you know, he's got like about 10 UFC fights under his belt, starting to feel like he's making a name for himself. And the thing about Swanson is when I bet Burgos against Swanson, that was supposed to kind of be like a coming out party, kind of like this is supposed to be for Jonathan Martinez. And man, 
obviously every fighter is different but let me tell you what cub swanson did not go down without a fight man like cub swanson like i was expecting burgos we're gonna touch this guy up in the first round and get out of there and man like it was a split decision i think one judge even had a 30 27 swanson look new weight class new opponent i completely get that but I'm just not counting out Cub Swanson to the point where I want to bet Martinez. Martinez is my pick, but I don't have a bet on this one. Anything anything else to add? Yeah, the the KO power of Swanson, yeah, we can't discount it. It's always live there. So I'm interested to see what the number is on Swanson KO, just or finish only. Uh, that's interesting to me. But no other bet on this fight for me. I mean, the good news is... You know, Swanson is plus 155. So if you're picking him and you don't want to get cute because you never know how these fights are going to go, you know, just take the underdog if you're picking him out right. But, yeah, I feel you. KO only, that means that any other outcome besides him getting KO'd is is a push, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The thing is, though, one of those knees from Jonathan Martinez might ruin that. So, yeah. That's true. So it's going to be interesting. So featured bout in the flyweight division, we got two top contenders because we got – Asker Askarov, he's 14-1-1, representing Russia, taking on Brandon Raw Dog Roy Vall, who is 14-6, representing the USA. And currently, they got it. Asker Askarov, minus 215. The comeback on Brandon Raw Dog Roy Vall is plus 185. I think this is another fantastic matchup, man. I think that, you know, how can you not be a fan of Raw Dog? You know, this is a guy that's just active the entire fight, is going to make you work. Even off his back, he's working. And he had that fight in, I think it was his final LFA fight. It was like that 20-second fight where he just runs at the guy, flying knees him, then submits him right away. Like, And then you see that translate to UFC victories. I mean, he's out here spinning, dropping Kai Car France and choking him out. Like, he's out here doing it to real guys. So you got to respect it. It's just with this guy, Askar Askarov, obviously him being Russian, he fights like a lot of Russians, kind of has that Russian coast style going on, where on one hand, it's nice that he can neutralize fighters, you know, kill minutes off the clock. On the other hand, when that style bites you in the ass, it's when the other guy is off his back, landing more elbows. So it's like, what does the, what does the, what does the judge, you know, what do the judges favor more? Do they favor the guy that's on top neutralizing or do they favor the guy that's on bottom actually landing strikes, actually scrambling, actually throwing up submission attempts? So this one, I actually think it's going to come down to who's judging this fight. It could be 30-27 Askarov. It could be 29-28 either side. It could be So I see this being an interesting fight. Yeah. Um, in this fight, we, Royval has the measurables advantage here. He has the, the reach and height advantage. Uh, I have a couple issues with Royval. Uh, <laughs> he tends to fight without his brain sometimes <laughs> he's, he, wild. He's, he's wild he's wild which puts him in some really bad positions but the man can scramble out of anything he's proven it time and time again uh the issue with askarov is where he finds his biggest strength in the wrestling is also where roy Val loves the fight to be he loves it to be on the ground he loves the scrambles he likes getting those subs uh really good jujitsu uh great grappler and if the fight was on the feet, I would favor Oscar a little bit more, but I do think this fight will more than likely be on the mat for for longer periods of time. And part of me is looking at this tape. I think Roy Val has uh, more than a dog shot here. It's, it, the line is a little bit wide, in my opinion. I think Roy Val could get to his back and sprawl. These scrambles um, are probably going to be a little bit disadvantageous for Oscar. 
we've seen how he dealt with the speed disadvantage against Kaikara fans just in the, in the the boxing aspect. When he got pressured, he did not look too comfortable. And uh, I, I do think that Roy Val can just wreak havoc in that freaking octagon and find his way to, to, to submission here. Um, either fighter, I could see them winning 29-28 decision here. But a poke at that uh, Roy Val sub only or finish only line is is live. Because I think the guy is gritty. He, he can fight out of anything. He can scramble out of any position. And uh, I just don't think Oscar has fought anyone with such ability to scramble. So uh, it's a toss-up for me, and a dog shot on Roy Val is not uh, a bad idea here. I, I don't disagree, but I, I will say this, though. Askarov has fought very good grapplers. Brandon Moreno can, can grapple. Tim Elliott, even though he's a gasser, he can still wrestle. Alexandre Pantoja can grapple, you know, uh, Benavides can grapple. So, I mean, I definitely think that Askarov has been in there with some serious guys. It's just there's only one raw dog, and, and I agree with you. He's definitely just a very unique scrambler. He's a guy that can give up eight takedowns in a fight like he did against Bontarin and still go out there and win the fight, right? So that's what makes him kind of unique. It's just that with Askarov's style of you know, kind of doing that Russian coast, that means that he's going to have to neutralize Royval to where Royval can't be getting off on those scrambles, where Royval can't be throwing up those submission attempts. And if he does, Askarov's got to pass. Askarov's got to find a way to get to that dominant position, you know, get to side control and kind of kind of tame him a bit, you know, tame the mutt. Can he do that? That's the big question. So, and again, we're also talking in terms of if there's no finish, right? Because there could be a finish, and I would actually lean more towards Royval getting the finish. But let me say this, uh, and, and that that's assuming that, you know, if anyone got a finish, I'd say I'd, Royval would be more likely to. But let's not forget about that fight when Askarov, like, knocked out Tim Elliott midair, and then Tim Elliott woke up, like, before he hit the mat or something like you saw him like go limp and then just mm-hmm. wake wake up mid knockout so like i think askarov's got some underrated pop on his punches as well i think he i think he kind of fucked up in that last fight against uh kai car france man i think that he got a bit carried away um you know basically it was back to what do the judges favor more do they judge do they favor a bit more activity or do they favor you kind of riding out you know a couple a couple rounds on top and quote-unquote stalling right so it's just it's tough to know who's going to be judging this fight and what they're going to be appreciating so i i do see the case for if one guy's going to be more dominant than the other i think that that would be askarov uh it's just is he going to be more dominant or is he going to allow you know roy Vall to get off on these scrambles to to woo the judges with you know his flashy moves and stuff like that so hopefully askarov learned from his mistakes last time and with that said, you know, back to the talk about who's more likely to get a finish. We can't forget, though, that Roy Vall did get dropped uh, that last fight against Chanel. And Roy Vall also has been, you know, finished more than once inside the octagon. So, you know, even though Askarov hasn't finished anyone yet, um, Roy Vall has been finished more than once inside the octagon. So, we, And he's been dropped in other fights as well. So, yeah, and that's just credit to his style like in giving you know in going for all those crazy scrambles and going for all those big moves the submission attempts the flying knees the spins this and that you're going to leave yourself open you know it's a it's a very risky style 
but he makes it work to be top five in a division like that where you know as the weight classes go lower the guys get more technical like you know you guys remember demetrius johnson was the champion in that weight class for a very long time and one one thing that he did so great was he was just amazing in every single realm of mixed martial arts so to be at the top of the of the heap in the flyweight division where like these guys might not be big but these guys are good in every single area of the fight like that speaks volumes that he makes that style work so i respect it and as a fan i like watching him more than i like askarov but i gotta go with askarov as the pick here i'm not gonna bet him i'm not crazy about the line but uh askarov's my pick i think he can win two of these rounds yeah um at first i was leaning the the askarov side but looking at the line it was it was just a little too wide for me but i, I have no bets on this fight as of right now, I will look into the finish only for Roy Valdo. Now, next up, I do have a bet on this on this fight because next up in the middleweight division, we got Dusko Todorovic. He's eleven and three, representing Serbia. He's taking on the Beverly Hills Ninja Jordan Wright, who is twelve and three, but he's actually twelve and four because Anthony Fluffy Hernandez did indeed knock him out on contender series, but he was uh, smoking the devil's lettuce, so they overturned it, and currently they got it. Dusko Todorovic. It says Todorovir on uh on Best Fight Odds. If Todorovir shows up and it's not Todorovic, it might be a max bet. But yeah. currently they got a minus one ninety uh, Todorovic. The comeback on right is plus one sixty. I took to, uh, Todorovic minus one eighty nine earlier in the week. Um, listen, I, I know that Todorovic has his flaws. I'm very aware of that. You know, the guy fights with his hands down, fights with his chin up. He's very confident in his head movement. And I still think he's a skilled guy, though. I think he's got good speed. I think that he's able to mix in takedowns. He's a black belt in jujitsu. I just think that, you know, when you're talking about the top 15, it's going to be kind of tough to get away with certain things. But when you're, you know, not even a top 115 guy like Jordan Wright, I think that these are the kind of guys that Dushko can style on. This is the kind of guy where you can get away with fighting with your hands down and your chin up and, and you know, look pretty out there. Do your thing. Because Jordan Wright... You know, he's just a, a kind of a front-loaded bully, you know. Um, if he can go out there and blitz you real quick, you know, because he does have some good techniques. You know, he trains under Anthony Hardock, who former kickboxer, former UFC fighter. So definitely, like, uh, Jordan Wright's going to be throwing hard early. But as long as Dushko can survive any kind of early blitz, if we're talking about who's got more fight in them. I mean, it's night and day who's got more fight in them between Dushko and Jordan Wright. I don't think that Jordan Wright has much fight in him. And to take a, a step further, I don't think Jordan Wright's got much chin in him either. I mean, point in case, that last fight against Burial, he got cracked one time. Immediately, Jordan Wright, who's known for being a kickboxer, was in wrestling mode against Burial. And Burial, who's never submitted anybody ever before, gets his first ever submission win against uh, Jordan Wright. So I just think that guys on this level like like Dushko, like the bruno silvas like the barry it's kind of kind of mid-tier kind of right outside the top 25 i think that those are the guys that are going to style on jordan Wright and, and go out there and finish him you know if you're truly bottom of the barrel like jamie pickett like ike villanueva no disrespect to them i'm just saying for ufc standards i, I know i'm very aware that they'd fucking kill me but i'm saying at the ufc level if you're bottom of the barrel like that's where maybe Jordan Wright can kind of scrape away. But, like, 
I just think that outside from like a head kick knockout or something, I mean, I really think that Dusko's head movement is going to look good in this fight. I think that Dusko is going to be able to come out here and have that well-rounded performance, knock him out on the feet, mix in takedowns, pound him out, submit him, like do whatever you want. This is this is your showcase fight. You paid your dues. You went three hard rounds with RoboCop, which one doesn't simply do. You saw what RoboCop did to Julian Marquez. You saw what RoboCop just did to Chitty. Um, the Chitty fight was competitive until he caught an elbow to the temple. Listen, a nice elbow to the temple is going to knock anybody out. The Puna Haley Soriano fight. Puna Haley is one of the hardest hitters in the division, and Dushko wasn't even really out. He was still trying to fight, man. So, whereas when Jordan Wright gets knocked out, I mean, they got to bring in the smelling salts. They they got to bring in the stretcher. They got to bring in the flashlight in his eyes. It gets pretty scary in there, man. And it's happened multiple, multiple times. And he's been out cold, man. And I think at this point, his confidence has to be shot. He already doesn't believe in his chin. So now he's trying to result to wrestling and he's getting submitted by guys that aren't known for being a submission artist. So I think that this is a spot where Dushko is going to come out here, get a finish, keep his spot on the roster. And this might be the last time we see the Beverly Hills Ninja. So I took Dushko straight and uh, I think he finishes this guy. Yeah, the, this fight ends in chaos like how how can you not expect this uh jordan wright is the definition of like a killed or be killed fighter a very opportunistic finisher but gets finished a lot himself uh i think what's gonna set the the town here is dusko's takedowns i think he's gonna be the most effective in the fight and uh if he's able to get it on the mat he's just gonna win via ground and pound or submission here quite easily um i agree i think dusko is a side here I personally have a bet on the under one and a half. I got it early at minus 140. Uh, so I have 2.8 units on that. And uh, yeah, I, I think this fight finishes in the first round. Uh, Dusko is ahead of Jordan. I don't think Jordan Wright would even be in the UFC anymore. But uh, I, I think the, the wrestling is going to be a little bit too much for, for Jordan Wright in that first round. And he's just going to get... Uh, I, I think submission is the, the more likely... Uh, method of victory here in my opinion yeah i mean listen dushka you paid your dues kid you you crushed the grapes now we drink the wine so i think he's going to come out here finish this guy put a stamp on it and get back in the win column and then hopefully we can build him up but if not i guess it's back to you know fighting the robocops and maybe a drinkus duplicy you know <laughs> some tough matchups because i mean the dude's been in there with killers so it's nice that they're giving him like you saw what happened when they gave him a nice little step down with with Mackie Patolo, who I actually think is way better than than Jordan Wright, um, took care took care of business. You saw and what happened when they gave him that that step down against uh, Dequan Townsend. I mean, that ground and pound was vicious. When Dushko gets that step down, he shines. I think he shines next Saturday. So let's go, Dushko. Now, kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between the vet, the Haitian sensation, Neil Magny. He's twenty six and nine taking on Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez, who is 17-2. Currently, they got it. Neil Magny, minus 125. The comeback on Daniel Rodriguez is plus 105. So this is my second bet of the night. So I took D-Rod at plus 105. I put 1.5 units on it. Um, so I've had a hit and miss history with Neil Magny, you know, because, man, he's been in the UFC a long-ass time. Uh, you know, those last few fights, the... Uh, you know, the Tony Martin, the the Lijing Liang, the Robbie Lawler, I got all those wrong. Prior to that, I bet Santiago Pontanibio big against Neil Magny. I bet Neil Magny against Hector Lombard back in the day. 
against Johnny Hendricks too. So I've had mixed results um, with Neil Magny, but basically Neil Magny is one of these guys that super long for the weight class, longest reach in the history of the welterweight division, knows how to use that reach. And it's just one of these guys that you start to gas out against a guy like Neil Magny, and he's really good at pushing the pace. But more importantly than that, he's really good at getting guys to fight his game. Sometimes guys for whatever reason, they abandon their game plans and they start trying to grapple with Neil Magny. I think it's something about that range. Like you saw those three fights in a row. I mentioned the Tony Martin, the Li Jing Liang, the Robbie Lawler fight. Like these guys are known for their striking. These guys were out here trying to wrestle him, which was uncharacteristic. And they gassed themselves out trying to wrestle him. The thing I like about Daniel Rodriguez is that he can carry his output throughout the three rounds. He gets better as the fight progresses. I've never seen cardio to be an issue with Daniel Rodriguez. And a lot of these guys get off to good starts against Neil Magny, but they fade down the stretch. You know, for example, the Max Griffin fight. Max Griffin dropped Neil Magny badly in that first round, but Max Griffin kind of got carried away. Max Griffin kind of blew his load a little bit, whereas Daniel Rodriguez kind of keeps things sharp, kind of pops his jaw, his jab out there. And what's interesting is he's going to have like a six inch reach disadvantage in this spot. But I actually think for MMA terms that Daniel Rodriguez has some of the better boxing in the welterweight division, just in terms of how clean his hands are. Um, and it might not look the most spectacular, but he's always working. He's always doing something. He's always popping that jab. Now he's starting to mix in his leg kicks a bit more. I don't think that he's going to act uncharacteristic and just come out here and start to and start to tie up Neil Magny against the fence where, you know, where guys historically start to gas. And that's where Neil Magny can get off on, you know, his body lock takedowns and this and that and start to, you know, make it seem like he's working a lot harder than his opponent. I think that D-Rod can kind of shut. Neil Magny down and that's what I'm hoping he does assuming he follows the right game plan and doesn't get lured into you know the the bullshit that Magny makes people do man it's crazy it's crazy how you see Robbie Lawler one of the most prolific knockout artists in the history of the sport turn into a wrestler Li Jing Liang one of the most prolific knockout artists in the history of the welterweight division turns into a wrestler like Tony Martin now in the Tony Martin fight you got to give uh, Neil Magny credit because Tony Martin known for those calf kicks Neil Magny comes out southpaw in that fight and he's the one throwing calf kicks that was a very very vet tactic there that like i was like yo that that's some in-fight adjustment type shit i respect that a lot but here against dira i don't really think that's going to be the case i think dira's gonna be popping that jab i think he's gonna be slightly ahead on point possibly catch him with something uh big i think that neil magny's chin has been tested throughout the years and he's been knocked out more than once he's been rocked in other fights and you look at the resume oh he beat jeff neal but like Jeff Neal almost died a few months prior. And if you watch that fight, Jeff Neal did not fight like Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal did the same bullshit these other guys were doing. Jeff Neal abandoned his fast hands and tried to make it a wrestling match. I'm like, dude, and he gasses out two minutes in. I was like, oh, my God, Jeff. Like, you know, if you gave me the Jeff that just fought Luke, I'll bet Jeff in that spot. But back to this. D-Rod, let's just follow the right game plan here. Go, Just fight like you normally fight, and I think he wins. And at dog odds, I'm willing to find out. So I took the plus 105 dog odds on, on D-Rod. Yeah, it looks like we're both on the same side here. Um, yeah, Magni does have that six-inch reach advantage. Uh, I think D-Rod can get into that pocket and and really pop out that jab. Uh, the only fear is in this fight, it could, it could go two ways. That six-inch reach advantage is going to be really key because if, if D-Rod's able to get in close and not give up like these clinch positions that Magni is able to lure people in with, 
then it should he should be able to coast uh, a 30-27. But what happens in Magni fights is people try to close in in the distance and they start getting pushed against the cage and they start getting grinded out. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I do think Magni is starting to regress just a little bit. I could tell by the last fight. Um, also, I mean, in the Max Griffin fight, he didn't look like himself. Uh, I was surprised that he got the victory. I was happy he got the victory because I was on the Magni side. <laughs> but that that was a little a little scary, to say the least. He, he didn't look no minus 275 or whatever his line was. Let's put it that no, way. Not at all. Not at all. So I haven't been really impressed with him at all. And uh, I'm also interested to see how D-Rod shows up to the scales because we, we do know that he showed up 10 pounds heavier on uh, the last weight cut. So let, let's, let's just let's just clarify, not because he missed, because it was supposed to be a catchweight with Kevin Holland. Yeah. So that was supposed to be a catchweight, but it, it was caused by him uh, not being able to cut down. That that was the main issue in that. Fight. Oh, really? Is that is that true? Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't able to cut all the way down to 170. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see how he looks right now in this weight cut. I think he does have the better boxing in this fight. As long as he's able to stay on the outside and like smartly close distance and not end up in these clinch situations where Magni shines most. Uh, he'll be able to outvolume him and, and win a decision here. Um, I would be surprised if it's a KO, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm sticking a D-Rod decision as the prediction. And yeah, I have him at uh, plus 105 as well. Uh, I have to check my, my number. But yeah, plus 105, I have him for a unit. Now, main event of the prelims in the in the light heavyweight division, we got Misha Sarkunov. He's fifteen and eight, taking on Alonzo Menafield, who is twelve and three. Currently, they got it. Alonzo Menafield minus two ten. The comeback on Misha Sarkunov is plus one eighty. So this this one's interesting to me, man, because a lot of people know some of my main strategies include. You know, betting on the guys that can just shoot takedown after takedown after takedown without getting tired. That's one of my angles. Another one of my angles is, you know, I love fading these guys that are on their way out. You know, I love fading these frauds um, and I love doing it against, you know, these young, hungry prospects. So I always look at a card going into it. I'm always like, who doesn't belong? Who's one or two fights away from retirement? Who's a stunt puller? You know, who do I have a good history fading? And Misha Sorkunov is one of those guys. The thing is, my man, and, and I bet on Wellington Terman that last fight, but I think I had it at like even like plus 100 or minus 105, something like good odds. Can I trust Alonzo Menefield at minus 210? That's because, that, like, I love fading Misha Sorkunov, especially at this point in his career. And historically speaking, Johnny Walker, that was a great bet back in the day. And I've also had my points where it's costed me, you know, the uh, Krilov fight. Um, I mean, it's funny because back in the day, Sirkunov beat Krilov. He beat Kutalaba. Uh, he's got one other really good win. Do you remember what it is off the top of your head? He, he beat one of those guys that is now doing well. Let me see. Um, he's got three. Oh, yeah, Jimmy Crute. Yeah, yeah, I bet on Jimmy Crute in that fight, too. I was wrong about that. So, like, yeah, I mean, at this guy's best, I think skill-wise that Sirkunov is actually good. It's just you put Sarkunov in that one bad spot. You hit Sarkunov properly. Like, Sarkunov's not the kind of guy that really overcomes adversity. And that's one thing that I've loved capitalizing on at the betting window. My issue is, can I really trust Alonzo at a price like this? I lean Alonzo, and I'm going to pick Alonzo. It's just like minus 210. 
there's been stunts pulled against you know against Devin Clark against William Knight. There's been a lot of stunts pulled along the way by Alonzo. Is he finally at a point now where we've kind of patched it up a little bit? Because I know he fought the guy that you just interviewed, interestingly enough, and you know that went the way that a lot of people expected. But despite Sir Kunov's shortcomings, you know he's still a proven UFC guy that's beaten legit competition. What do you think? Can I can I trust Alonzo at a price like this? It's tough. It's tough. Because if you look at the last fight <clears throat> against Mozarov, the line was pretty similar. And I don't know why it should be similar in this case when you're facing legit UFC competition in Serkinov, who's proven that he can grapple and can get these submissions against legit guys. Uh, my issue with Serkinov is he has a horrible gas tank. Like he'll He'll go for these takedowns. But after round one, you'll see him wilting. Like, oh yeah, he is panting on the on the the stool. He, he barely is able to get up. So, do I really want to trust either fighter in this situation? Probably not. If if you're gonna put a point of gun to my head and ask me who am I picking, it's gonna be Alonzo Menafield. That's for sure. I think he has the cleaner boxing, way more power, and uh, I think he's gonna be able to to shut the lights off here. But in terms of a betting aspect, I'm not touching this line. At minus 210 because anything can happen what if Serkinov is able to land that first takedown i think alonzo's kind of like a, a fish out of water on, on on the map for the most part uh, especially against these guys that are able to lock in these weird submissions like Serkinov. i i definitely think that he's able to get him in the first round but after the first it's going to be alonzo all the way yeah and my, my thing is like so like I think that if Serkunov gets embarrassed in this fight and gets finished, I think he probably retires. Like, how many more times can you keep taking these ass whoopings, keep getting, keep breaking in fights, keep getting knocked out, this and that? Like, I think he's one or two fights away from retirement for sure. So it's going to piss me off when Alonzo knocks him out in the first exchange and that minus 210 does look like value. And then I never get a chance to fade Misha Serkunov ever again. But to your point, when Serkunov still has skills, I mean, that necktie he hit on Jimmy Crute, that guillotine he hit on Krilov, that blast double, like he's still got skills. Another interesting little caveat, and I guess this is more narrative, but it's also facts. Uh, Alonzo Menafield's camp has um, experience with Serkinov. They Ryan Spann, that's one of their guys. Ryan Spann ran through uh, Serkinov. And yeah, Ryan Spann and Menafield are two different human beings. But my point is that Coach Safe Sayud already has the blueprint on how to beat this guy he's already researched him for mo for multiple hours on a different training camp now he's coming back and is going to mold this other pupil of his to go out there and beat someone that they've already you know passed the test with an a plus with in the past so they know exactly what to expect from Sorkunov. there's not going to be any surprises here it's just with that being said you might know that something's coming, but can you still stop it, right? Like, you know that blast double's coming, but can you stop it? Like, that's the thing. Anytime people would fight Khabib, you know exactly what he's going to do, but no, no motherfuckers could stop it. And guys, no, I'm not comparing Serkinov to Khabib <laughs> at all. <laughs> Serkinov's a guy I like fading. Um, I'm just saying that we know exactly what Serkinov wants to do. Uh, Menafield and his coach, Safe Sayud, know exactly what Serkinov wants to do. But does that mean that they can stop it? And I do think that Alonzo actually has a little bit underrated takedown defense. 
the kind of thing, the kind of issues I've had is he's a little bit, I don't want to call him more of an athlete than a fighter because I do think he's overcome some really tough spots in fights. Like he got rocked badly against William Knight and I didn't see any quit in him. And I think his takedown defense actually is underrated. It's just that, you know, with a big guy with those muscles, as he starts to fatigue, if he finally gives up one takedown after fighting off the first seven, then it might be kind of hard for him to get back up. But I don't think that he's just going to be, you know, giving up position or giving up full mount or this or that or give his neck up easily. So, I, yeah, my pick is, is Alonzo Menafield here. It's just, is, is does Serkinov have one more in him in the tank? That's my question because we're talking minus 210. We're not talking pick em odds. Pick em odds, I would have already betted Alonzo Menafield. Uh, minus 150, I would have already bet Alonzo Menafield, right? It's just minus 210. I need, I need a little more insurance, right? It's just going to really piss me off when I pass on Alonzo. He knocks him out in the first round. Misha retires, and I never get a chance to fade him again. So that's kind of where my head's at on that one. Yeah, see, if, if you wanted to take the Alonzo side here, I would – look for the Alonzo inside the distance. You'll probably get close to the minus 120, minus 130 area, just from what I'm expecting. I haven't looked into the lines. I don't think they've even dropped yet. Um, I do think if he does win, it's going to be inside the distance 90% of the time, whether it's a knockout in the first round, the second, or the third. Uh, I don't see him winning a decision uh, just because I don't, I don't think Serkinov is going to be able to move after the second round. So, yeah. That's what I'm going to be looking into personally. I feel you on that. You know, I'm not much of a prop guy, but I mean, I feel you. I think that, you know, there is a good chance that he finishes the fight. But my, my other thing is, if it goes the distance, I would expect Alonzo to be the winner there too. Because I, like you said, Serkinov fades. But if Serkinov can use some vet tactics, kind of run away a bit and minimize damage, and maybe Alonzo starts gassing out too, but Alonzo just kind of lands a bit more leg kicks, maybe a couple more strikes, but can't get him out of there. I think that Alonzo wins that decision as well. So that that's what makes it tough for me there. But yeah, I mean, I got Alonzo. It's just, I need to make a decision. If, if do I truly think there's value on, on these odds? You know, it's, that's, that's really it. If it was just about, you know, I know people love to talk about the, Oh, just pick the winner. I'd, I wish it was that you can only pick the winner. If you, if you actually only pick winners. Um, but in this game, you you never know what's going to happen. Like in that Zhao Nan fight, I'm not an idiot. I knew that if Dern gets on top of her, there's a good chance that we get submitted. And that's just the bottom line. But at plus 235 odds, I was willing to find out. I thought that there was value on those odds. Now, if you flip the odds around and you make Zhao Nan, you know, minus 300 in that spot, I wasn't going to bet her. I would have maybe considered betting Dern, right? Because it's it's all about assessing, you know, how close do you think you do you think this fight has the potential of being? And is there value on the odds like Bo Nickel minus eighteen hundred? Yeah, I think he's going to win this fight. But if it was just about picking winners, then why don't I lay eighteen units to win one on Bo Nickel? Um, because the risk is just way too high. But that doesn't mean there's value on Pickett because I think Pickett's going to get blown out the water. I'm not going to bet on Pickett. So it's not like I'm just throwing around you know money just because. Oh my God, this guy's got a plus next to his name. Now I'm going to bet him. Like hell no, I don't think Pickett's going to win. But I don't really want to bet. 18 to win one on uh you know on Bo Nickel. But back to this, minus 210. You know, for him to cover that price tag, he's got to just make this guy quit in the first round, which he's done plenty, plenty of times. It's just I know Alonzo gets extended 
and you mix it in that Misha, despite being a front runner, despite being a bully, despite not being the toughest, he's got skills. And you can't you can't deny that. So that's where I'm having kind of like the inner turmoil of if I want to bet that or not. But as of now, I have not. But my pick is Alonzo Menafield. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, I will have a bet on this fight. We got Mana Martinez. He's nine and three taking on Brandon Davis, who was 14 and nine. Currently, they got it. Mana Martinez minus 150. The comeback on Brandon Davis is plus 130. So I haven't moved in yet, but I'm just letting y'all know now that I will be betting Mana Martinez in this fight, and I'll let you know why. So I think Brandon Davis is a very tough guy. I think that he's a very respectable journeyman who, you know, had a tough fight with Giga Chikadze. Actually looked good in moments against uh, Zabit even. And, you know, we've given a lot of guys, even in fights he's lost, he's given them tough-ass fights. But I think that we need to make a distinction here. Do you remember how I talk about this kid, Jordan Williams, how at 185 pounds and at 170 pounds, he's two completely different guys? At 185 pounds, this kid, Jordan Williams, knocked out RoboCop, had a gritty tooth-and-nail war with, um, what's the name of the French sniper? Nasardine Imavov, right? Yeah, but but then he drops to 170. He can't even take a punch. You know what I'm saying? Two different guys in two different weight classes. And I think to a lesser extreme version, Brandon Davis falls under that category, man. Brandon Davis has been dropped or rocked in every single fight he's had at bantamweight. The Randy Costa fight, he was getting shit kicked for at least, you know, five plus minutes in that fight just getting wobbled all over the place i was at that fight it was in atlanta georgia same night that dustin fought max same night that izzy fought kelvin like i was there i was like god damn and i like brandon davis very cool guy you know he's actually originally i think from georgia uh, he, he comes by this area every once in a while i like him a lot but just keeping it real at bantamweight He's been hurt every single fight. So the Randy Costa fight, that's the first example. The fight against Kyung Ho Kang, he got dropped in the first round in that fight. The next fight against uh, Dana Badgeri, I mean, he got blown out the water. And to take it a step further, now he's aging a little bit. Not, not that he's that old. I think he's only 33, but more so that the wars are catching up to him. You know, now he's got a torn ACL. In that fight, he's wearing this, this knee brace. Now he's had the surgery. And he's dropping back to 135 again, where I just think is not optimal for Brandon Davis. Can he make the way? Yes. The guy runs or allegedly runs 20 miles every day. I definitely think he can make the way. It's just, can he truly be at his optimal self at Bantamweight? And I just don't think he can. I like his game. Calf kicks, you know, decent striker, you know, experience. Like, I like Brandon Davis. I just think that... Here on the opposite side, you got this kid, Amanda Martinez, who's young, 25, 26 years old, and he hasn't even scratched the surface of his potential. If you watch this guy's regional fights, if you want to see some brutal, vicious knockouts, you watch Amanda Martinez's regional fights, and they're not just against bums. He's knocked out two guys on the regionals that are currently in the UFC. Remember that guy, uh, Ricky Tercios, that pissed mm -hmm. us all off that last fight? Amanda Martinez, one punch, knocked him out. You remember uh, Jose... Johnson is that his last name? Yeah, Jose, Jose Johnson. Jose Johnson, who just got a contract on Contender Series, Mana knocked him out in under a minute, and they're brutal, they're brutal out cold knockouts. So he comes into the UFC, and you know the Guido Canetti fight, I'd say it was a bit of an underwhelming performance for Mana standards, but if you put context into it, the week before his longtime coach died, 
the kid misses weight by five pounds. It's a short notice opportunity. Like, I mean, when your coach and your mentor dies like a week before the fight and you still take the fight and you miss weight by five pounds, like clearly he's not at a hundred percent. And we didn't see the mana we saw in the regionals, but let me tell you something. There were glimpses there. Some of those punches and bunches, some of those takedown attempts, I'm like, yo, give this kid a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more experience, and he's going to show you something in one of these fights. Like, you remember the kid, uh, Ziam, that I bet on that last fight he had against Figlak? Like, Ziam had a little bit of a slow start to his UFC career, too. But I said, just give this guy a little bit more time. He's young. These young kids need seasoning. They need experience. And I think now Mana Martinez has paid those dues, had that tough fight with Guido, which I thought, I think you can make an argument for Mana winning that 3 nothing before you can make an argument for Guido winning that 2-1. to one. And the reason yep. I say that is because it was a split decision, which I thought was ridiculous. I thought Mana clearly won the second and third, if not the first as well. And then the next fight against Ronnie, Ronnie's got that style I love where Ronnie, you know, he's going to attempt 14 takedowns in a fight. But usually when you when you're on the receiving end of that many takedowns, you're going to be huffing and puffing. You're going to be gassed out. And it's Mana Martinez that lands two knockdowns in that third round, which goes to show this guy's not just a hard hitter. This guy's not some front runner. This guy's actually got serious heart on his contender series fight where he got choked out. He didn't tap. He went to sleep. So I think this guy's got the heart of a lion. And should this fight go the three-round distance, I think it's going to be Mana Martinez who's digging deeper. I think it's going to be him who's still there in the second and the third round, putting it on the vet, Brandon Davis. But honestly, Wiz, what I really think is going to happen here is I think Mana Martinez is going to show what I've seen for a long time on those regional fights. And I think he comes out here and gets his first UFC knockout against Davis, who has consistently been getting rocked in all of his bantamweight fights. And I think that trend continues here. We add another knockout loss after Dana Bakary, now in ACL surgery. I'm not liking what, what I'm seeing. And not to mention, even when Brandon Davis was, you know, in his prime at his best, he was still losing the majority of the UFC fights he was in. So I got Mana Martinez via brutal, devastating, vicious knockout here. I think he's this is going to be his breakout performance. I think after this, people are going to be like, oh, so we got a new prospect in the Bantamweight division. And uh, I'm going to bet him straight at the minus 145, minus 150. You know, I'm going to wait a little bit, see what, what the best line I can get is. And I'm going to pounce all over it. Music to my ears. <laughs> I already have a bet locked in on this fight because I expect the line to move against me. Uh, dude, I expect it to be a three-round kickboxing fight if it does last that long. And Mana Martinez is just going to be able to out-volume him. He has that power advantage. That Ronnie Lawrence third round was one of the scariest uh, bets I had because I had Ronnie Lawrence in a, in a parlay there, and I expected him just to wrestle him, but he gassed. And it was just horrible seeing those two knockdowns from Mana. Kid carries serious power, as we've seen on the regional scene. He can shut anyone lights, anyone's lights out. And in, in this case, Brandon Davis, I think he's just getting up there in age. Um, Brandon, Davis. Brandon Davis. Brandon Davis. <laughs> shout out to my boy, Ben, the, the Bane Davis. <laughs> I had like a little, a little bit of thing there. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Davis is just getting up there in age. And uh, I don't think he's going to be able to take Mana Martinez's punches all that much. I think he's going to get knocked out cold, similar, similar view to you. And, uh, I know Davis was never really being like, we're never really close to being KO'd in previous fights. 
except for that Dinobot Gari fight. He's always just like putting on wars. But I, I don't see the uh, I don't see a way where he doesn't get KO'd here against someone. I think Mana is probably one of the the hardest hitters he's faced in the UFC and one of the youngest dudes he's faced. Uh, I think this is Mana's time to to get the KO. Um, so I, I expect him to win here. I got him for 2.1 units at minus 150. Uh, it, it should be an easy win for Mana here as long as he follows his game plan. Because I'm not discrediting Brandon Davis here, but everything that Davis does, Mana does two times better. Um, he has holes in his boxing where when he's going for that left hook, he just leaves his right arm down. I've noticed this in the tape over a couple of fights. His right arm's down. He doesn't defend it. And that's just a perfect counter opportunity for Mana with his just stiff jab right there. So um, I'm, I'm looking to see a lot of that too. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got another good prospect showdown. We got Nick Maximov. He's 8-1 and one, taking on Jacob Mamba Malkun, who is 6-2. Currently, they got it. Nick Maximov, minus 150. The comeback on Jacob Malkun is plus 130. I love both these guys. I mean, this is like I, I told you. I love my guys that can attempt 20 takedowns in a UFC fight. Don't get discouraged if the first few get stuffed. Just keep grinding and grinding and grinding. And that's exactly what both these guys bring to the table. I actually do have an opinion on who the better grappler is um, and on if there's a KO or sub threat on either side. But let me hear what you got to say first. Yeah, so, I mean, Nick is going to have the, the tail of the tape advantages here. He's a taller and lengthier fighter uh, by three inches in both uh, departments. It's a wrestler versus wrestler matchup. Um, I expect the fight to take place on the feet, though, for, to be honest. Whenever we see these kind of matchups where it's wrestler versus wrestler um, or striker versus striker, we, we see the opposite tend to happen historically. And uh, I think Nick has the more technical striking and utilizes his kicks pretty well. And uh, I think the tail of the tape advantages are going to serve him pretty well here against Malkoon. But, man, I really like Malkoon's performance against Brendan Allen. He really showed up there. And I think he won the fight, uh, the wrong fighter won. Uh, unfortunately uh, for me, I also had that decision line that a lot of people I know had, that plus 600 to 700 line. I had it at 650. I was disappointed. But, uh, yeah, I, I think on the feet, Nick Maximov wins on the ground. It's going to be really hard to tell, but I think Maximov is the more uh, opportunistic submission threat. Uh, I'm staying away from the fight personally. I think it's going to be really fun to watch, but I'm going to predict Maximov to win by uh, unanimous decision. So we're going to pick the same winner, but I'm going to disagree on how the fight plays out because you, you did bring up a good, a good point. Oftentimes when you get these two really good wrestlers, it turns into a striking match. And that's true. I, I can't debate that. You see that all the fucking time. Um, but I don't think that's going to be the case here. And I think the proof is Nick Maximov's first two UFC opponents were also credentialed wrestlers. Cody Brundage, Puna Haley Soriano. I forget what Brundage's credentials are, but Trust me when I tell you he's a former college wrestler. And Puna Haley was like a D3 All-American. What was that? I think Brundage is a D3 All-American as well. Oh, so, okay. So two D3 All-Americans, right? And Nick Maximov had zero issues attempting and getting takedowns on both those guys. I think he hit 11 on Puna Haley, man. So, like, Nick Maximov doesn't give a shit who you are. And then the Andre Petrosky fight, I know he got caught, but he still tried to shoot on that guy too. So I don't think he cares, man. I think that. That's just his style, and he wants to prove that 
I can beat you at your own game. Like, oh, you think you're a better grappler than me? You know, he's got that 209 attitude, you know? I don't think so, right? Like, so I, I think he's going to want to try to prove that he's the better grappler. Here's the thing. Malcoon might not be the best athlete, might not be the biggest guy, might not have the most knockout power, might not be a submission threat, but, like, I respect the fuck out of Malcoon because he's just a dude that'll just bite down on that mouthpiece and work hard. I mean, when you look at his fight against Razak, you look at his fight against Dobson, like, those guys, like, if you want to know who's got a higher vertical jump, if you want to know who can bench press more, if, who can power clean more, who, who probably had... Uh, better numbers at the UFC PI in terms of their athleticism test. I mean, you know, AJ Dobson and Razak probably trumped all over uh, my boy Malcoon. But like when it came down to like biting down on that mouthpiece and showing more heart and just going for it. I mean, that's just something that money can't buy. That's something that j the same way that Dobson and Razak are born with those athletic, uh, you know, gifts. Malcoon's born with something in here, man. Like something about this kid's heart and his mind. It's just so strong. And I just respect it so much. So Malcoon has got my respect to the fullest. It, it, it's just that back to those opponents, you know, Razak and and Dobson, they're dangerous KO threats for sure, but out grappling them doesn't really tell me that you can out grapple an actual serious wrestler like Maximov. Whereas Maximov's fights where he did, you know, the, the million takedowns in the fight, he did it against credentialed guys. Like, he did it against legit wrestlers. That's where I'm like, yo. And he's still super young. So that's what makes it interesting. Um, I think striking-wise, I think Maximov's a bit sloppy there. I think he's a bit unproven there. But, man, the kid's got brass balls, man. That fucking contender series fight, he weighed 210. His opponent weighed 265. And he grown man, that guy. like. I like Maximov. It's just with his style, you know, in the Petrovsky fight, you can't sit here and say, oh, Maximov's a bum. I think that Maximov just got carried away, you know, thinking I'm going to beat this guy at his own game. And Petrovsky is no slouch of a grappler, especially in the early going while he's fresh, man. And even though the technique on that Anaconda didn't exactly look the prettiest, the squeeze that this dude Petrovsky has, it didn't even matter if it, if it was, you know, if he went to the right side or this or that. Like, that dude's squeeze is disgusting. I mean, he put him right to sleep. Um, I don't think the submission threat is quite there for, for Malcoon. I don't think that the KO threat is there either. I just think it's about it's going to be about who can grind more in this spot, and that's what makes it intriguing. So now back to the physical factors. You mentioned that Maximov's the bigger guy, the more athletic guy. I think that that'll actually matter here. It didn't matter that Dobson was more physical and athletic or that Razak was because they don't have the grappling pedigree that Maximov has. And I think that's the fundamental difference. So when the fight first got announced, I thought it might be a dog or pass situation. And it might still be. It might still be because Maximov still has a lot to prove. But I'm leaning towards Maximov. Just stylistically, I think that yeah, even in the Brendan Allen fight, it, he definitely, Malkoon definitely performed. And, and I will kind of disagree. Like, okay, did Brendan Allen cover his minus 315 price tag? No, he did not. But I still thought he kind of edged out the first and third. Um, I mean, and he also was able to take down Malcoon. He was also able to get into full mount in that fight, where, which is like things that, you know, I've never seen Maximov get taken down. I've seen him get submitted, but I've never seen him get taken down. I've never really seen him give up a bad position before. So that's kind of what makes this intriguing to me. So I think Maximov is just going to be a bit more physical. 
you can't count out that heart, that Mamba mentality, then just that work rate of Jacob Malkoon. You got to give him credit for it. But I, I think Maximov has the goods to to win two of these three rounds. So I'm going to pick him for the win. Can't disagree there. Can't disagree there at all. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Rafael Asuncao. He's 27 and 9, taking on Victor Henry, who is 22 and 5. Currently, they got a Victor Henry minus 325. The comeback on Rafael Asuncao is plus 270. The reason these odds are where they are for two reasons. Number one, unfortunately, my boy Rafael is at the tail end. Um, and secondly, Victor just had that insane, insane win. Like, let me, you want, you want to talk about numbers? Let me let me show you what these numbers say. Uh, I'm gonna pull them up real quick. Like when you talk when you talk about an insane pace, people were under the impression that Hayoni Barcelos was declining, and that was not the case. Because one of the reasons I bet uh, Barcelos this last fight against um, Trevin Jones is because the only tape I watched on Barcelos was his loss to Victor Henry, and that right there let me know he was gonna beat uh, Trevin Jones. Reason being is this: look at these fucking numbers, bro. Like, this dude, Victor Henry, threw 397 strikes in a three-round fight. I repeat, Victor Henry threw 397 strikes in a three-round fight. Do you understand what kind of pace that is? So with Trevin Jones, who throws three strikes per round, I was like, oh, my God. Like, Hione Barcelos threw more strikes in the individual rounds of the Victor Henry fight than Trevin Jones does in his whole fights combined. Do you understand what I'm saying here, man? Like, so that's why I was all over Barcelos there. The issue here is that I have to pay up fucking minus 325 on Victor. And a few years back, man, there was a time when Rafael Asuncao had a win over every single person in the top 15. Wins over Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw, Pedro Munoz, Rob Font. Like everybody, right? He literally beat the whole top 15 at one point. It's just now, you know, getting close to 40 years old, getting knocked out by guys that aren't known for knocking people out, like, like Ricky Simone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty evident that Rafael Asuncao, who I love, you know, he's represented my city, Atlanta, really, really well. And back in the day, I, I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, you're a hardcore fan. Rafa beat uh, Jorge Masvidal. Back in the day, you understand, like this guy is a true OG, a true vet. It's just unfortunately he's past his prime. So I think that Victor Henry, his pace is insane. And I think there will come a time to fade Victor Henry. I can't lay this price, but I have to pick him just because I think my boy Rafa's on his way out. If you gave me Rafa a few years back, man, like I I, I take those dog odds on Rafa, man, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he's got it anymore. So just give me Victor to just kind of just be ahead on the points, just outwork him. I mean, you threw 397 strikes against Barcelos. Like, let me, let me see. But what's interesting is that Rafa had, like, in Rafa's prime, he had his way of slowing fights down and had a really insane counter striking game. So maybe he can slow the pace here if he can tap into his old self. It's just, you know, I, I just think we're kind of past that point. So. Yeah, I'm going to go with Victor in the spot. Yeah, man. First of all, shout out to Victor Henry, hometown hometown boy. He, he's like down the street. He lives down the street from me. So I'm Where's pretty that? familiar with his game. Uh, Fullerton, California. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. Yeah, he, he works at a local bar. I, I'm there pretty often. <laughs> Shit, I, I'd hate to be the drunken patron that he has to escort. <laughs> Dude. 
he's uh, he's done a couple things, just <laughs> to say the least. But Rafa here is on a four-fight losing streak. Uh, and like you said, he's getting up there in the age department, 40 years old. And his last string of fights have been hard to watch. Uh, looked very slow, very sloppy. And uh, it's just something that Victor Henry is going to be able to, to take advantage of. I don't think he's going to KO him. Uh, although he possibly could with the way that Asensio has looked. But I just think he outpoints him, outvolumes him pretty easily to a unanimous decision victory. Um, it, it's hard to see uh, Asensio go out and continuously go out and fight the way he's fighting. Uh, this might be the last one. Who knows? Uh, we we're all, we're gonna have to see. But yeah, what a what a career this man has had. Beat everyone in the top fifteen currently, like you said, and at one point was the who's who of the division. Yeah, hundred hundred percent about it. And it's just back to that talk. You know, it's minus three twenty five, which is what's you know turning me off from the odds. But back to kind of like the Menafield versus Serkinov talk. Is this my last chance to fade Rafael Asensio? Right, like that—that's the dilemma yeah. I'm having. Like that's why I wish, like, man, couldn't you give me minus two fifty or better, like, um, on this spot, and then give me like minus one fifty on the other one, right? So, that you know, it just sucks when you got to lay these not these big numbers, but they're big numbers for a reason. It's just you know, there's a good chance this is the last time we see Asun Sao and the last time we see Serkinov in the UFC. So, despite it being that wide. Maybe there's value. I'm just not sure if there is or not. That's why I'm having trouble pulling the trigger on on those spots. But uh, yeah. So next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Piera Rodriguez. She's eight and zero. Oh. What was she representing? She is representing Venezuela, and she's taking on Sam Hughes, who is seven and four. Currently, they got it. Piera Rodriguez minus one eighty. The comeback on Sam Hughes is plus uh, one fifty. What's interesting, or one sixty five, depending where you look. What's interesting is, I was curious to see, you know, where this opened up initially, uh, just to see what Vegas was thinking. And dude, Vegas was actually thinking minus two thirty, Piera Rodriguez. So they they were actually more confident on her than the public is. And here's my thing, man, with Sam Hughes. I actually do think that she's better than what she's shown. My issue with Sam Hughes is that sometimes there's a lot of hesitancy. Sometimes there's a lot of doesn't quite pull the trigger in there, doesn't quite live up to her potential. Because when she does let things go, I actually think that she's pretty skilled. I actually think that she like isn't bad at all. And you've seen these last few fights starting to get more comfortable in there, starting to put it together. It's just you know, sometimes these old habits come out from time to time, whether it's inactivity in fights and, and this and that. And that's one, one, one of those things I don't like. I, I don't like betting on people that that rarely throw like a Trevin Jones. Like that's a guy that I like to fade every single fight. Yeah, you might have won a couple along the way, but long term, you're going to make money fading guys like that. You know, with that Woodley style of just, you know, back yourself into the fence and barely throw anything at all. And, and I'm not saying that that's what Hughes does, but I'm saying early on in Hughes's uh run in the UFC you know there was just she was just very gun shy in there uh let's pull up what these numbers said about her like here here's my point case brother you know the uh so these last two fights she's turned it up 100% these last two she's turned it up but prior to that you know only 49 strikes landed in in the Loma fight in a three round fight like 
she got doubled up in that spot you know the tisha fight 20 strikes like i you know the Lu luana fight 53 strikes and this is a this is a three-round fight like I, I need i need more output than that i need better numbers than that and here's the other thing about her opponent piera not saying that she's coming out here putting up big numbers either but she's also kind of still firstly does she, does she train at king's mma under uh, master rafael cordero by chance um so the, there's two king's mmas there's there's one that's run by cordero and then one that's run by Daryush, which is the one that I go to. okay so I, I don't think so but i haven't been to the to the second location as often so i haven't seen her personally and, and you you're at cordero's or at benny's no i'm at benny's okay so you haven't seen her at benny's no, I haven't seen our Benny's. I've been to Cordero's a couple of times, but haven't really seen anyone, to be honest. It's just been probably wrong time. Okay. So, yeah, what I heard was that she was at Cordero's. Um, okay. Yeah. So this is tough. This is tough because it's like I don't know what to expect from Hughes. Sometimes gun shy. Last couple fights kind of been a little – the confidence has been increasing a little bit more. And then with Piera, she's kind of one of these young fighters that – still getting her feet wet and has shown you know some things i like here and there in the in these fights is just you know are we going to be seeing improvements fight by fight by fight is she kind of a finished product i know she's young but still like so i'm not really quite sure what to think um i was at her last fight against uh the only fans model and she treated her accordingly definitely won two of those rounds definitely grinded it out and i've seen that in the contender series fight, she mixed it up on the feet really well. In the fight against the OnlyFans model, she was able to, you know, take it to the mat when she needed to. So I've seen a well-rounded approach. It's just, um, how, how do you kind of see this one? Like, are we seeing kind of a trajectory going up for Piera and Sam Hughes is kind of a finished product? Or do you think that Sam Hughes is finally starting to feel confident, kind of finally starting to put it together? And, of course the odds the odds are these odds wide are these odds correct like like what, what are we thinking here man so the thing with sam hughes and this is gonna talk a lot about her last two fights um she finds a lot of success when she's fighting people who a have bad takedown defense and b have no takedown uh competency at all the estella nunes of the world the elise reeds who don't really go for takedowns uh, she finds a lot of success because her her biggest threat is taking people down and hitting them with that ground and pound that we've seen in the past two fights. But then when she's facing other fighters that do have some competency and can stay keep the fight on the feet, uh, she's just been. I mean, we you've seen the, the takes on Twitter. People call her like a no disrespect at all of this, but people call her the the punching bag, and she just has very sorry. Sorry, they call who the punching bag. Sam Hughes. Oh, right, right. Yeah. yeah. She's known for just not having the best striking defense at all. And when you're facing someone like Pierre Rodriguez, A, she does have the takedown defense, and B, she does have a really good takedown game of her own. She likes to take the fights down to the mat and uh, hit the ground and pound as well. So on the feet, this is probably going to stay on the feet if she's able to keep it on the feet. With Piera, though, she does have power. She has power in those hands. And if she's able to touch Sam Hughes up a couple of times with with those power shots, the the right the right hook, it's gonna it's gonna be a long night for Sam Hughes here. And uh, she's the more crisp boxer, uh, Pierre Rodriguez. And I I do expect her to win this matchup, but for minus two hundred, do I really want to take the the risk? 
Probably not. I would rather take the minus 200 on Alonzo Menafield here. But, yeah, I think Pierre Rodriguez wins by unanimous decision here. I think she's going to make it look pretty easy. But do I want to touch any of the lines? No, I'll probably wait to see what her decision line is personally. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on that. I, I do think that that's kind of where the edge is for Piera here. You know, mixing in those takedowns. Uh, Sam Hughes was taken down, you know, seven times in her first three UFC fights, right? But to give her credit, she landed six takedowns the next two. So it, it was pretty cool to see that she's kind of turned things around a little bit. So let's see if she keeps going on that upward trajectory. You know, paid her dues those first few fights and now feeling more confident, or is Piera just simply a, a level above. That's what remains to be seen. And I'm not crazy about the price either with where they're both at in their respective careers. So I'll also pick Piera, but, you know, not interested in betting this one. All right. So, y'all, we got two more fights to talk about. So everyone do do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. After this video is over, leave me a comment. Also, follow my buddy, Madi, at WizBets. And... Also, to the fans, you know, I truly apologize about last week about those audio issues. Uh, it's a long-ass story of why that happened. If if I told you guys what happened, you'd be like, that's like the stupidest fucking thing ever. My boy Madi knows it. It's, it's like sometimes technology doesn't make sense, but the good news is we fixed it. And I hope that that clean sweep, those underdog bets on Yan Xiaonan, Daniel Santos, plus the sharp bets on Hayoni Barcelos and Joachim Silva, made up for it so thank y'all regardless for supporting me and we're back to clear audio so thank y'all again hit the like button hit the subscribe follow my boy and now uh let's break down these last two fights of the cards so in the flyweight division we got cj vergara we got carlos vergara he's 10 and 3 taking on tatsuro taira representing japan who was 11 and 0 and correct me if I'm wrong, I think he might be the only uh, Japanese flyweight fighter uh, currently on the UFC roster. So that's pretty cool. Um, currently, they got it. Tatsuro Tyra, minus 230. The comeback on CJ Vergara is plus 200. It actually opened minus 270, Tatsuro Tyra. So that's the kind of regard that they hold him in. And, and I got to be honest with you, man. You know, for a kid uh, his age, which for those that don't know, he's only 22. He was born in the year 2000, guys. Like he's he's a baby, uh, but man, like he's a big boy for the weight class for flyweight. He's five foot seven. He's got the 70 inch reach. He's a flyweight that's got a longer reach than Max Holloway, who's one of the taller featherweights. Like this is a big boy, and he's a he's an interesting cat, man. I I like him a lot, and I think he's got a lot of potential. I just think it's one of those things where there will be some speed bumps along the way it's just a matter of is this going to be one of those and what i love about this matchup is that this guy cj vergara is the perfect test for a prospect cj vergara is one of these tough gritty guys that you know you start to gas out on a guy like cj vergara kind of like his last opponent clayton rodriguez did you start to take your foot off the gas you start to you know maybe try to coast a little bit and this guy cj vergara as long as he hasn't gotten finished yet, which he did get submitted back in the day, and we will talk about the back takes of Taitsura Tyra, but if CJ Vergara hasn't gotten finished, like he's going to be there for all three rounds, and that's what a prospect like Tyra needs to get to that next level if he can pass a test like this. So while I know that you know the volume might not be on you know on the higher side for for Tatsura Tyra. 
I kind of feel like he makes his shots count, man. Like he's not exactly going to be a guy that like goes out there and lands over a hundred significant strikes in a three round fight or this or that. But like when he does let his hands go, he's got a lot of power. He's got some big kicks and he's opportunistic with, with everything he does. I feel like he's very calculated. Just, he's a young kid. Young kids are prone to making mistakes. I really like this kid's back takes and whether he's submitting his opponents or riding out top control, I mean, either one of those is going to win the fight. And when he does get taken down, he's attacking for submissions and he can get back up to his feet. So I think he's a very good prospect and someone to look out for. It's just like I said, when, when you're talking about his opponent, CJ Vergara, you're dealing with a battle tested individual who who can go out there and land 100 significant strikes in the fight, who can land knockdowns, who can get back up from takedowns, like who will fight you till the till the bitter end as long as, you know, assuming he hasn't been finished. So, I think this is the perfect test for Tyra. And I think it's I think it's one he can pass, honestly, just uh, just banking on, you know, no rookie mistakes, no no rookie stunts, you know. Don't be dominating the first round and a half and then have a big adrenaline dump and then get grinded out by this tough-ass warrior Vergara who's going to be there, you know, especially let alone you start showing Vergara any kind of weakness and he's going to get right in your face and he's going to come after you. So that that's what you have to look out for. And sometimes these young prospects need to take those learning lessons to, to get to that next level. I'm going to still go with Tyra. You know, I'm not going to bet him at this price, but I think that this is a test he can pass uh, as long as, you know, mentally he's all he's he's with it. You know, as long as he's not dominating and then takes his foot off the gas, as long as, you know, he doesn't burn his arms out going for a submission attempt and then he's gassed out laying on his back. And, you know, the vet uh, Vergara is out here, you know, doing his thing. I mean, you saw, like I said, that third round against Ode Osborne. You saw the last two rounds against Clayton Rodriguez, like, Vergara don't play no games, man. But it, when you're talking about who's more talented, who's more athletic, who's got the you know the higher ceiling, I, I do think it's Tyra. And for those reasons, I'm going to pick him to win this fight. Yeah, I echo a lot of the same sentiments here. Um, Tyra's a taller and lengthier fighter. He's going to have the speed advantage over Vergara. And I still think he's going to be the one throwing more volume. But for for Tyra, his bread and butter is those takedowns. When he lands those takedowns, he's able to transition. And Dan, you know this, you're a jiu-jitsu guy like myself. Uh, the, the way he, he transitions and tries to, to go and pass through guards, it, it's, it's really high level for, for a dude that young. And I just see him dominating this fight on the mat. And Vergara has been able to get some takedowns of his own, but his one flaw is, He's always getting reversed. Uh, against Clayton, he was getting reversed left and right. And against someone like Tyra, who himself is someone that's looking for these submissions and these exchanges, I think he's able to lock one up here and and end the fight by sub. Uh, it's either going to be a sub or unanimous decision victory for me. I don't think he knocks him out. But, yeah, I'm siding with Tyra here. I'm not going to be laying any money on this fight, but it'll be a fun one to watch, that's for sure, and a good test for Tyra. And last but not least, kicking off the card, man, <laughs> we got in the welterweight division, we got Pete Rodriguez. He's four and one taking on Mike Jackson, who is one and one. Um, it's funny. Isn't he like two and one or do they not even count the CM Punk fight anymore? 
Um, but... I don't think they kept the CM Punk fight anymore. Wow, that's an exhibition match now. That's funny. Currently, they got it. Pete Rodriguez minus six sixty. The comeback on Mike Jackson's plus four ninety. Um, I know that last fight with Mike Jackson and Dean Barry. Like Dean Barry was like literally like one of the biggest frauds I've ever seen in all my years watching this sport. And Dean Barry was still like whooping him. It was ugly as hell, but you know he he, he fouled him and Mike Jackson. You know he found his way to win and he got his second paycheck. I never thought I'd see the day where Mike Jackson won two UFC fights, right? Even though those were not even NFC main event level fights at all. I mean, NFC main event on the next one is Jared Gooden versus Doug Usher, right? Like, oh could, could you imagine putting Mike Jackson and, you know, this other dude in a US, in an NFC main event? And, like, P. Rodriguez, look, he's green, you know, but at least, like, he's been in there with one real guy. I mean, he, he stood and banged with Jack Della Maddalena. He got knocked out, of course. I mean, what do you think would happen if Mike Jackson fought Jack Della Maddalena? But prior to that, you know, at least at least like P Rodriguez beat, you know, at least he had like a nice little regional run where he knocked out, he knocked out a five and one guy, you know, he knocked out a one and O guy, which is like a joke for UFC standards. But like, when you're talking about Mike Jackson, those are the kind of opponents that Mike Jackson is. So yeah, I definitely got to go P Rodriguez. I'm just, you know, I don't like laying prices like this on, you know, unproven guys, you know, even though he's probably going to win this, it's just, very very low level fight but i think i think at least p rodriguez is a real fighter despite being green despite not having any experience despite probably being in the ufc way too early at least he's a real fighter whereas i think jackson's a photographer that you know got uh got got lucky hit the jackpot to put it lightly so I'm just glad that this is the last time, hopefully, that we're going to see Jackson inside the UFC's octagon. So I'll give me Pete Rodriguez to knock this fool out. Yeah, Pete Rodriguez, round one knockout. He's the much more powerful striker. and I kind of like his uh, his trip game. He has some nice little trips that he's able to get some takedowns with. So I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to take it to the floor and just ground and pound him out of there. But, yep. yeah, I lost some life taping the the Mike Jackson fights. Wow, you actually taped that. One. I just looked at the stats and memory, and that was enough for me. So, respect. Lost some years off my life, that's for sure. <laughs> well, Maddie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here, right here, right now, on Half the Battle. Before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, my man, for UFC Vegas 62, in your opinion, what is the fight to watch? I'm gonna have to go with the the Maximov Malkoon fight. I'm I'm a person who's a a geek over wrestling, and if this does end up on the map, I'm gonna love every bit of it. Just going through those transitions, and uh, fighter to watch for me is actually gonna be uh, Brandon Royval. I think uh, he's able to to make this fight really exciting, and with his flashy style, he might be able to pull something off here. Yeah, I mean, how can Brandon Royval not be your fighter to watch? For me, the, the fight to watch is Cub Swanson versus Jonathan Martinez. I mean, Jonathan Martinez, a guy who's really been paying his dues inside the UFC octagon, kind of starting to feel like the UFC is his home, and now they're giving him that big-name test against a legend of the sport and Cub Swanson, a guy who has one of his fights in the Hall of Fame, a guy that I grew up watching in the WEC, and 
what makes it even more intriguing not and not just that it's you know the up and comer versus the vet it's that the vet is dropping to 135 pounds after having his entire career at 145 like what's he gonna look like i have no idea and to take it a step further the weakness martinez has had you know is cub swanson's strength you know that big boxing of cub swanson Martinez kind of stands upright, but on the flip side, Martinez with those big knees, those big, those big kicks, man. I, I love this matchup. So Martinez versus Cub Swanson is my fight to watch. And my fighter to watch is Mana Martinez, man. Like, listen, when I watched this guy's regional fights when he first came in the UFC, I was like, holy shit, we have a new knockout artist in the Bantamweight division. But he's only, you know, at the time, what, 23, 24, just a kid. Give him a little seasoning. Give him a little experience. Let him feel comfortable inside the octagon. And I think that this is the perfect matchup for him to come out here, impress a lot of people, and show them what a lot of what a lot of us have been talking about and why we've hyped this guy up. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do uh, Saturday night. That's that. Those are my expectations at least. So for that reason, Amanda Martinez is my fighter to watch. So. Maddie, I truly appreciate you joining me right here, right now on Half the Battle. The fans can follow you at WizBets. That's with two Zs. Um, also, for all the fans watching, thank you guys again. Sorry about last week, but I hope we made it up with the clean sweep, plus getting back to normal today. Uh, so far, I've bet um, Dushko. I bet D-Rod. 100% going to bet Mana. And on the fence about VV, I'm not quite sure, but those three that I mentioned are already I'm 100% set on in terms of that. I've already bet two of them, uh, two of them, and I'm going to bet the other one. Period. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. So, subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. Uh, I'd say I'd be back next week, but I already broke down the card for next week. So, you know, maybe we'll do something special. Maybe we can make this a tradition and do a early preview for UFC uh, 280. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But regardless, I was happy to get this out early for y'all. Also, thanks to my guests as well. Thank you to all the fans watching. Like I said, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Leave me a comment afterwards. All those little things y'all do help the show grow tremendously. And then feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. So I only get notifications from people that I follow. So if you've been like sending me stuff and I haven't responded, that's not because I'm ignoring you. You can always slide into my DMs, which are open, and I'm happy to respond to almost anything on there. So <laughs> thank you all again for everything. Um, enjoy the weekend. Go Braves. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs> let's go.